This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host Conor O'Neill and joined this afternoon by Joe Thomas and I think making his Royal Blue debut. Is that correct, Matt? I think so, yeah. I think that's probably the yeah. first time I've been on, yeah. We, we also have Matt Jones with us to look back on Everton's 0-0 draw with Fulham at the weekend and what came of that. Joe, yourself and me were at Craven Cottage on Saturday evening as the Blues were held to a goalless draw by Marco Silva's side. It was a pretty open and I think even first half in which both sides had chances. However, the second half, the Blues had to dig deep to ensure they can away from the capital with a point and in no small terms, thanks to Joe and Pickford's heroics between the sticks for the Blues. But, Joe, firstly, just to start with, what were your thoughts on the performance and, and you know, the tactical setup and, and just the general feeling as you were leaving Craven Cottage on Saturday night? I mean, general feeling as I was leaving Craven Cottage was that's a useful point. You know, it wasn't the best performance that we've seen under Everton, um, under Frank Lampard. And I think the you know, the consensus is pretty much that you know, they faded a little bit disappointingly in the second half. First half, I really enjoyed the first half. You know, there was an intensity to the game and it was end-to-end. And albeit Fulham probably created more chances than Everton did. I mean, Everton still did create chances, something that they hadn't done in the previous 180 minutes away from home. So, you know, you obviously had Damari Gray, you know, testing Bert Leno early doors. And then you had what was probably the best chance of the game, really, when Damari Gray crossed to, to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And he couldn't quite get, you know, a, a, a proper foot on it. And you had Anthony Gordon running in the back post. So very early on, it just felt like a completely different game to Newcastle, completely different game to Tottenham Hotspur, where Everton really struggled to create chances, really kind of stodgy performances that were difficult to watch. Although, you know, in fairness to Tottenham, they, they, they had those two chances that they put over and really should have, the tactics were right at Tottenham, they just didn't execute them properly. Newcastle was just a day to forget. Fulham was an entertaining first half, for Everton set up okay and caused uh, Fulham problems. But obviously in the same respect, Fulham created their own chances. And it, you know, it was two wonderful saves from Jordan Pickford, first from Willie and then from Mitrovic that allowed Everton to maintain a foothold in a game. Um, but really, I think... Whilst I was pleased with the point, my overriding thought coming out of the game was how on earth did Alexander Mitrovic stay on the pitch and what could that have done? You know, I think it was a useful point for Everton. Lots of people have said it. Jordan Pickford's the latest one that I've heard say it. You know, that's a point that Everton wouldn't have got last season. And, you know, we need to be measured in how we kind of, you know, measure the progress that they're making. They're not going to go from just missing out on relegation to Europe straight away. It's going to be a slow, gradual build and that's going to require patience and patience with having to go to newly promoted sides and you know what go a point isn't a bad result obviously the end of Frank Lampard's project sees us going to places like Fulham and wanting to win and expecting to win we're not there yet point wasn't a bad result but it could have been so more it could have been so much more one with slightly better performance but two if Mitrovic had seen red which surely surely everybody listening to this must agree I mean obviously they've all got blue coloured spectacles on so I'm sure we, we all agree on this but I just don't understand how that wasn't a red card. And the game chase, it changes completely, doesn't it? The big danger man's gone. The big threat's gone. He's had 10 shots or, or beat he didn't score. Absolutely different game. And you know, I'm confident Everton could have certainly put a lot more pressure on Fulham in that second half. They're playing against 10 men. Well, we are going to go into the AR and the whole <laughs> shambles of Saturday. We are not going to avoid the issue. But, Matt, just going back on what Joe said there in terms of it was a useful point for Everton. I think that's the best way to describe Saturday, wasn't it? It was a, a game they probably would have lost this time last year. It's a point more on the board and they just move ahead and, and look ahead to Leicester this weekend. 
Yeah, hundred percent, mate. It's a it was a classic case of Ben, but don't break. I think wasn't it from from the players, and I think it's it was a performance that we've seen a few times this year. You know, I think back to, to games against Brentford, maybe hung on a little bit more so there with them hitting the woodwork, maybe three or four times. Leeds with Everton were probably a little bit better. It was a bit more of an even game, but again there were spells where they were under pressure. But again, they didn't buckle, they dug in, they got the goal in it and they hung on. Um, obviously, Saturday was a little bit different, but I think those same sort of core principles were running through there compared to what we saw at times last season. And I think I think when you're in the midst of a season and when you're talking about a, a result and a performance like this, I think, you know, it, to make yourself sort of feel better about it, you can revert to that that line of, you know, that is a game we would have lost last season. But I think it does ring true with this Everton team. And I think it's, it's one of them where we've got to try and put into context where this side was a few months ago in the sense that the took 39 points from a Premier League season. They stayed up by the skin of the teeth. They're not going to go to, to places against the team and they're seventh in the league and scoring loads of goals and you know playing them off the park. It's just simply not going to happen. Um, we're going to have to dig in. There's going to be some hard times coming over the next few weeks even in regards to the way in which we're playing away from home. So, so yeah, I think it was always going to be a tricky game at the weekend. Um, we were always going to concede some chances. Mitrovic was always going to cause us problems, but yeah bend but don't break and, and dig in and show heart and that is ultimately what this team have been able to do so far this season and you know if you can draw these games you can keep ticking along I think it must make everybody just feel a whole lot better at Finch Farm and, and in, in training throughout the week you know I, I think back to, to last season to under Rafael Benitez and he's, he's been in the news again today hasn't he talking about how uh, we're all I don't know if we'll get onto them later, but it, I think you know that that stat about Benitez is often tr- trotted out when he's reflected on, isn't he? That he won one in his last thirteen, but I think probably just as parents is that he lost nine of thirteen. Mm. But I think when you're losing game after game after game, it must be so demoralising for the players, and it becomes so easy to kind of fall into that that downward spiral and you know be engulfed by the misery. It's a whole lot different when you're drawing. So while a nil-nil draw, while a point away at Fulham is not necessarily spectac- spectacular. I think it is a step up from what we saw last season and it just just keeps you ticking along a little bit like you and Joe both said. Joe, the big talking point from the game arrived in the first half when Alexander Mitrovic, I'd say tackled Idrissa Garnagay, but I think that's been too kind to the, the Serbian forward. It happened kind of right in front of us, well, in the halfway, just beside the halfway line. As soon as it happened, me and you looked each other in the press box and thought that looked a little bit risky. We both saw replays and thought that was a red card. VAR disagreed. It was checked, but you know there was a, a valuable reason as to why it, it wasn't a real card wasn't overturned into a red. Again, this was another VAR call that went against the Blues and Frank Lampard, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You can understand the frustration afterwards. As soon as it happened, we were in the press box and we were, I mean, obviously, we said to ourselves, but it was a red, but Everton staff actually sat next to us and all of us were just waiting for the waiting for the VAR thing to come up on the screen and say that you know it's going to be overturn or, or at least be looked at and as soon as it wasn't you know we're both on the blower to Stockley Park to say what the hell's going on here I think I saw someone yesterday had put a collection of screen grabs together and I think they had Mitrovic on um Idrissa Gay at the weekend they had the screen grab of Van Dyke going in on on Onana um Jordan Ayew going on on Anthony Gordon back in the last season and then they had the Allen one against Newcastle. It was a it was a case of guess which guess which one actually got the red card. Mm. And obviously we all know it was it was Allen for that tackle, which wasn't dangerous at all in the closing stages of the game at Goodison Park at the back end of last season before Awobi scored so memorably. And you know, I, I I just can't fathom why. And it does seem to keep happening to Everton. You know, it's 
even if you say you'd be generous if you were saying these were all 50 50 calls but even if they were 50 50 calls the balance of probabilities would suggest that at least one of them would have gone Everton's way by now and, and none of them and I just I just don't understand it because I think that you know Everton and it's a point that we're laboring at the minute and, I, and we wouldn't be laboring it if we didn't have belief in it Everton are making progress this season you know I believe that saying that even as they lost the three games on the bounce but the reality is they're not making progress at such a quick rate that they can afford to they can afford to lose out on big decisions like that they need a help you know they need a hand they need the odd decision to go their way and they're just not people might be saying oh well they got the VAR decision for the Anthony Gordon goal against West Ham uh, against Crystal Palace that we thought I mean that was a shocking decision that that got disallowed in the first place anyway it was a yard and a half on the side it was crazy you know so I don't know I, I like I you, did, did, you know, we know that Mitrovic has got a bit of bite in him. Did he mean it? I don't know, but it's not really relevant, is it? And you know, it's, they come back and they said, "Oh, it's about intensity and the distance between the two players as he made the tackle and things like that." So as a result, it probably wasn't as as dangerous as as it could have been. But you know, what on earth's got to happen for some of like that to be a red card? I mean, we say it's only a red card if Idrissa Gay breaks his leg. The referee's got a duty. The officials have got a duty to protect the players. Part of protecting players says, you know what, okay, FAB might have got away with that. Idrissa Guy didn't get seriously injured off the back of it. But we can't all of a sudden set a standard whereby that type of tackle is allowed, that type of contact is allowed, because the next player might not be quite so lucky. You know, I think, you know, at what point is VAR going to offer a bit more protection to Everton players? Because at the minute it seems to be offering none. And it sounds that. It sounds like, you know, an outsider listening to this and listening to Everton fans, are going, they're always moaning about these decisions, but... I just can't for the life of me figure out what on earth is going on with these. As I say, you know, I, I, I think these are all more than 50-50s in Everton favours. And, and the, you know, even then, none of them have gone in Everton's favour. It's just absolutely ludicrous. And it would, you know, it would change the complexion of that game. And if Everton got three points rather than one point, again, table looks a little bit different. There are only so many opportunities before we go for the World Cup break to, uh, to pick up points. And, you know, it would take a lot more of the pressure off, you know, all of a sudden then, they win on Saturday, then Leicester becomes a game where it's, well, a win would be great, but a draw isn't such a bad result. And, you know, now the way things flip, obviously everybody hoping for a win at home to Leicester to, you know, again, just to make that World Cup break that little bit easier with a few more points on the board. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Matt, I think the only surprising thing for Everton on Saturday was that Mitrovic didn't score the winning goal. But going back to Joel's point there in terms of, you know, the decisions that go against Everton and, and the moaning, when you look at it in the cold light of day and you look at the decisions that have gone against Everton and the ones that they've been on the receiving end of, it all adds up to, to why fans are right to moan, isn't it? Because the inconsistency of VAR and, you know, the way we see it used and interpreted just seem to differ depending on what way the, the foul is actually going to be given. Yeah, you know, Joe was saying there that you two were straight on the blower to Stockley Park. They'd probably just, you know, divert your course, don't they now? They're probably sick of hearing from you <laughs> after the amount of decisions that have gone against Everton. Joe's on his way to being blocked. Yeah, I was going to say, you're probably one step away from being blocked. Uh, le- left on blue ticks on WhatsApp, I reckon, every time you send them a message. <laughs> but, um, but no, it's, you know, it was, you know, obviously you two were there, but watching it on, on the broadcast at the weekend, it was one of them where it was, it was a bit of a case of like, Am I seeing something a bit different here? Because I think the, the commentators were sort of saying that, you know, it's a rash tackle, but it's not wherever you have a, a red card. The, the referee's got it right. And I sort of looked at it myself and thought, he's, he's put six studs into a Drissagay's shin there, you know, half well, mm. between his, 
his ankle and his shin. And then you sort of go on Twitter to sort of check that what you're seeing is, is what everybody else is seeing as well. And you're thinking, yeah, this this should be a, a red card. And then you see it on match of the day again later that night. And, and they're saying sort of similar things. You know, I think Alan Shearer and Ian Wright were very non-committal on it in regards to what they thought. But, you know, Joe mentioned that that sort of montage of pictures that was put together there. It was done by um, Jim Keegan, who's you know, a writer as well. And you sort of look at that, and, you know, there is the Alan one on that one looks like the the least dangerous tackle on there, and I think that that's the thing, isn't it? With, with the consistency, it's, it's that that's all you want. You want to see those sorts of tackles either being yellow carded or red or, or red cards. And I think ultimately, you look at the the two that stand out for me this season are the one at the weekend and, and the one from from Van Dijk on on Anana. They they are high challenges. The ball is not in the frame on a lot of the, of the shots, and you know I saw Dermot Gallagher this morning saying that Mitrovic. Is clearly going for the ball, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That shouldn't matter in that case. Mm. If, if you if you plant six studs into a lad's leg while it's on the floor, and the ball is two or three meters away from you when you've done it, it is dangerous play. It is endangering the opposition player. You know, at, at one point, I thought the game was going to go off. He had quite lengthy treatment, didn't he, as well? So it, it's clearly hurt him. And yeah, it, it was just a, a mad decision. The explanation doesn't really seem to make a lot, a lot of sense from my point of view either. The, it was sort of given by Dermot Gallagher this morning and, and by by the Premier League over the weekend. But but listen, you know, it's I, I don't know if Frank Lampard comes out after the game and goes berserk, you'll probably get a fine. I think he sort of alluded that to himself, didn't he? After the game at the weekend, if he comes out and says nothing, fans are going to be saying, "Well, why isn't Frank kicking off a little bit more about this sort of thing?" So it's just one of them. Really, you can't really win, can you? So yeah, just you just sort of hope that these decisions will start getting you know going in our favour. Although I will say. This, at the weekend, I thought we were quite lucky not to concede a penalty in the second half, just to, to even it up a little bit and take those blue tinted specs off. But not getting a penalty awarded against you and not getting dangerous tackles punished properly against you are two very different things. Because I think in another season, in another world, Amadou and Anna and Idrissi could both be looking at lengthy layoffs there because they are two pretty poor tackles on both of them. That, that's the thing, Joe, isn't it? I think, you know, we always see, you know, sometimes it evens itself out in football. But it's the context in which these decisions are being made, aren't they? Because these aren't kinds of penalties, handballs, contentious decisions. These are blatantly obvious, you know, dangerous foul play. You know, it's not, you know, what that's lose today in terms of an hour on Van Dyke and obviously Mitch at the weekend. These aren't 50 50 calls that, you know, you could see either way. These are tackles that you genuinely see every week being given as red cards. There's no consistency there in terms of what we're seeing in terms of what is deemed foul play against Everton and what is deemed foul play for Everton. Yeah, I, I just I just think it's it's a red card. And I just can't understand why it wasn't. I, I agree with Matt. I mean, I haven't seen that many replays of the of the Willian incident, but yeah, my initial reaction was thought it was a penalty. But I kind of I, I, I place that in the category of the you know the, the, the separate category. It, it feel like it feels like it's far more sub, subjective with penalties mm. because you know, it's where's the contact, when's it made, and things like that. Is you already going down first and. You know, we've seen that already. And again, I mean, Everton have been on the opposite side of a lot of those decisions recently. You look at you know, the Harry Kane one at Tottenham Hotspur could easily have not been given. Uh, similarly, the Anthony Gordon one at Newcastle could have been given. Obviously, both of those weren't given in Everton's favour. So I kind of put that in that loose, big grey area of, you know, sometimes those things happen and you know, almost isn't a right decision. You know, you can kind of almost allow, use a cricketing analogy, that umpire's call in those where there's a margin for error and you just go with what the on-the-pitch referee says. 
again, we you know similar to what Matt says with with the red cards, with especially with Van Dijk, especially with Mitrovic, especially with Jordan Ayew uh, um, last season. I just don't understand that. As I say, you know, the officials have a duty to try and protect players, and I just don't know what type of message that sends if if those type of tackles are going effectively unpunished. It, it just it, it just seems it seems ludicrous to me, and I think that. Uh, you know, you know, you mentioned about Frank Lampard. I mean, it was clear that Frank Lampard was having to bite his lip when, when he was asked ahead of the Fulham game about the um, the FA charge for Everton play Everton failing to keep um, control of their players in the Crystal Palace match. And you looked at that and you thought, you know, crikey! I mean, I know there's a lot of pushing and throwing in, uh, in that, but you look at that incident against Crystal Palace. It was sparked by a bad late tackle by Mark Wahey on Dominic Calvert Lewin. A bad elbow that Zaha was lucky to get away with off the ball and Anthony Gordon. And then a melee that ensued in which, you know, the, the aftermath was three Palace players got booked and only James Tarkovsky for Everton. And you look at that and you're thinking, yeah, how are Everton getting done over here? I mean, you know, I've got a horrible feeling that if we're not already, then by the end of the season, we're going to start sounding like conspiracy theorists. But <laughs> it just, you know, I, it, it just, it's some of the, some of the charges, some of the decisions that, going against them and the way they're clocking them up. I mean, hopefully back hopefully the second half of this season we come back from from the World Cup and Everton just get a glut of these in their favour and it helps them put you know put together a charge towards Europe or something like that. But somehow I don't think it's going to happen. Matt in, in terms of you know the, the decisions and, and what we've seen so far, you know, I spoke to Michael Ball earlier for his echo column tomorrow and he made the point in terms of you know when it comes to the big six and these big you know kinds of super Sunday games Referees, you know, seem scared to make the big calls that could become controversial. Yet when it involves Everton and, and not just Everton but clubs lower down, certainly you know the, the table, they have no hesitation doing so. And it brings us back to that thing of there is, is there a big six bias in the Premier League? Because when you see stuff like we've seen over the weekend, you know, you look at, for instance, Everton being charged for failing to control the players, but yeah, a manager across the park only gets a fine despite you know shouting and, and doing a lot of other things to a to a match official. It does bring that into the context, doesn't it, of you know, the lesser clubs do get treated more harsh than these so called the so called big clubs. Yeah, and Fulham are top seven, aren't they? So maybe there's a bit of bias towards towards them now yeah, as well. We're on the brink of it, so yeah, them doing so well. But no, I, I think you know, I've listened to this podcast before, and I think Gav Buckland's made this point, hasn't he, that when when there's the huge decisions that impact teams that are going for something, be it, you know, a Premier League title or the Champions League, there is maybe that extra hesitancy which you could maybe apply to stuff like the Van Dijk one you know earlier in the season you know sending off a player of that of that status for a team like Liverpool in a game like that mm-hmm. is a huge decision to make if you make that decision as the VAR or as the referee you, it's going to send shockwaves around the world and maybe there is a bit of that that, that comes into it but I, I, I don't know for, for me it just sort of it, it comes back to the officials just just not being quite good enough and for the match official on the pitch and the, the officials at Stockley Park not necessarily being on the same page and perhaps there's maybe a bit too much backslapping going on there. I don't know. It's just it's just you just look at the litany of decisions that we've had against us. You know, going back to some of the ones that you know Joe mentioned there, then you know that, that Jordan Ayew one again in that in that game against Crystal Palace. The fact that he, you know, goes in two footed on Anthony Gordon's knee, then scores the goal to put them that two nil up. You know, that 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 could have been something that relegated Everton at the end of the yeah. day. In, in the game before Richardson nearly has the shirt yanked off his back and then they go down the other end and, and get Brankweight sent off. That could have potentially cost us as well. And, and you're right, if if this is going to even itself out, then Everton could potentially be going for the title by, by the end of the campaign. But, you know, you've got to subscribe to one of two things, haven't it? It's either incompetent refereeing 
or it's corruption. It's not corruption, but I just think it's 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 incompetent refereeing. And Everton, unfortunately, been on the brunt of it for a long time. Here's hoping it turns around. Joel, I think if VAR was at a shambolic best on Saturday, then Jordan Pickford was at his brilliant best as he made you know, certainly three saves in quick succession to, to keep Fulham out. And it was again, it was a kind of a performance in which Jordan Pickford showed why his England's number one, showed why Frank Lampard and everyone at Everton Football Club, including supporters, loved him so much. And it was almost a case of redemption for him, wasn't it? Because given the last trip to the capital, in which you know made the mistake but led to a Harry Kane penalty. The, the kind of jibes that come after that were kind of rammed back down and pundits' throat. Yeah, it's not even a debate, I don't think. I, I, and I struggle to see how... Yeah, I, I think people are trying to manufacture a debate about who should be England's number one because you know, everything suggests form, ability, the experience. It can only be Jordan Pickford and show that again on, on Saturday. You know, in different types of save as well. I mean, the reflex save... Not just not just the reflex, but but the strength to push that William shot under, um, over the bar, which is phenomenal. You know, I shared on Twitter an image from behind the goal of that save um, yesterday, and and you know it really it really was a stunning one. I, I don't think William could believe he'd kept that out. Then you had the flying save to Mitrovic's header, and obviously the punch from Harrison Reed, and you know it's just all just more of the same. Really, I mean, this is a goalkeeper that holds save of the whole of last season, and I think currently holds save of the month for the. Uh, for one of the safe from the safe from Nunes from the derby in September, you know, I mean, this is a man that's been on on top of his game for eighteen months, even you know back beyond. Obviously, held England to a World Cup semi final, winning their first penalty shootout in years on the way, and and then a Euros final as well, in which he saved more penalties, you know, saved enough penalties in that shootout for England to really should have won it. So you know, I mean, there's, there's no debate for me. No one will be that surprised to hear an Everton FC correspondent argue that, but. You know, it, it feels like Jordan Pickford keeps having to prove himself, but it feels like he keeps doing it on a regular basis. You know, we went, he's had a difficult few games. You know, Everton have in general. Spurs was a difficult place to go. Obviously, it was his mistake that led to the penalty. But, you know, you look around this team, it should, Everton should have been 2-0 up at that point. Obviously, a penalty would have got Tottenham back into the game, but would, might not have been the difference between uh, drawing and, and losing the game. Then you go up to Newcastle. I thought he handled Newcastle really, really well. Obviously, Everton didn't play very well in that game. We've gone over that, but you know it's as hostile an atmosphere as Jordan Pickford's ever going to get. You know, being a Sunderland lad, and you know we all looked up around. You know, it was me and Chris Beasley at that game up around the stands, and you've got the inflatable dinosaurs everywhere because of that jibe and things like that. And he put in a really mature performance, and it, you know it's clear that you know over the past under, under Lampard. Jordan Pickford has, has been, you know, arguably the best goalkeeper in the league, or one of them. Not only that, he's emerged as a real leader. You know, I, I'm not sure that I would have classed Jordan Pickford as a dressing room leader a year ago. But under Lampard, he's gone from strength to strength. Lampard was the first manager to ever give him the captain's armband in a senior game when he did it for the Burnley game last year. And obviously, he, he stuck with him at the beginning of this season when Coleman was injured. It was Pickford who got the armband when Coleman went off on on Saturday as well. You know, it, it's clear that. For all the jibes around and for all the cheers, all the people that want to do him down, he's actually in a really, really good place at the minute, not just on the pitch, but in his own head and in the dressing room. And, you know, I think Evan have got a lot to be not necessarily grateful for, but, you know, that was another point on, you know, they, you know goals win games, but, you know, saves stop Evan from losing them as well. And and that was that was another, if, if you could do, I see this attacking wise where they say about how, you know, how many 
points the strikers goals have earned the team over a season you know if you're doing a similar accumulation for for goalkeepers then that was another point that should go squarely to to jordan pickford on on saturday because without him i think everton would have lost that the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo Matt, i mean i lose this in, in my piece for on, on the whistle on saturday but you know, obviously, there's a lot of love for Jordan Pickford in and around Goodison Park and, and all Merseyside, but away from Goodison Park, and there seems to be a real sort of strange hate towards the Everton goalkeeper. You know, one Fulham fan took exception on Saturday and shouted something to him as he walked on the pitch, which he thankfully proved he was anything but. But there is a real strange, strange sense, isn't he, around football? And, you know, people kind of got in for Jordan Pickford, and they kind of have a lot of strange feelings and motives towards the Everton goalkeeper that are just simply not true. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I found it very strange for a long time now. I think probably a lot of it's to do with the fact that he's a little bit of an orthodox character, maybe not like a traditional sort of modern-day footballer. You know, maybe the fact the way which he acts on the pitch sometimes a little bit differently, the way he speaks a little bit differently. You know, I think that's got something to do with it as well. But without want to delve into the England thing too much, I, I always find it mad there's, there's this sort of clamour to get him out the side because for me, he's, he's a modern-day England great. You know, as Joe mentioned there, in the sense of taking the team almost single-handedly to a World Cup semi-final, one of the best players in the, the European Championship last summer, saved two penalties in a shootout. You know, if Bukayo Saka sticks that penalty away after that and then whoever takes the next one for Italy misses and then Pickford scores the winner, which he was going to take the next penalty. Imagine how high esteem he would have been held mm. in there if, if events had gone a little bit different. But from an Everton perspective, which is you know what, what we all ultimately care about here, he's, he just seems a, a lot more centred and you know a lot more mature now. And I think that's something that's naturally going to happen with age. But I think it's something that he's clearly worked on as well. I think he spoke about it a lot after what happened in regards to the, the Virgil Van Dijk tackle and the way in which the sort of a you know a witch hunt around him. Then I think sort of the Carlo Ancelotti started helping him with a lot, and he's sort of taken it on himself and has clearly gone on further under Frank Lampard. Um, there were times with Pickford early in his Everton career when he wasn't playing well that you know every time he made a mistake it would be highlighted and talked about and talked about and you know he he did go through a a difficult spell there but I think what's sort of interesting about what Joe mentioned there and that mistake at Tottenham is that he's got so much credit in the bank now because he's been so consistent for so long that when that mistake happened against Tottenham I think Evertonian sort of went yeah made a mistake but he's been so good for so long. And it's not this huge thing anymore every time he does a a little bit of an error. And the fact that since that game, he's been able to put it behind him, you know, two clean sheets in in succession and just be really solid, I think is testament to him. And, you know, these sort of double saves, I think, are are really interesting as well. You know, you think back to the the one against Chelsea at the end of last season and obviously the one at the the weekend. You know, at times when he was on the pitch, he'd made a save. He'd get himself worked up. You could almost see the gears sort of going in his head still. And he he didn't really seem to be focused on the job at hand. And and while he still does that every now and then, he seems to be better now, just right, making the save. He's pumped up for a little bit, but then he switches straight on to the danger again. He did that in that Chelsea game, obviously, where he makes the two saves and then the shot hits his face afterwards from uh, Rudiger, I think it was. And then at the weekend, he makes that really good save from William that Joe mentioned there. And then he switched on again for the corner straight afterwards to, to tip that over. And yeah, he's just he's playing out of his skin at the moment, isn't he? He seems to be in a great place in terms of his own um, personality and you know, his mental health. On the pitch, he's playing fantastically well. He's a leader. 
he's an elite goalkeeper, and yeah, just 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 made up of him at the moment. And yeah, there's going to be a lot of talk about him over the next few weeks, isn't there? From an England perspective, but from everything Everton, he's he's doing all we can ask for, really. I think. Joe, I think it was interesting, wasn't it, with Pickford? Because me and you were both in Frank Lampard's post-match press conference on Saturday night, and he'd be very quick to name check Alan Kelly, wasn't he? He's one of the you know the key figures behind Pickford's kind of improvements and, and much more settled approach. And it's interesting because the, you know we Frank Lampard gets a lot of praise, but there's a team behind Frank Lampard who are also kind of welcome ones to the club and, and doing their bit to make sure that Everton are, are better moving forward. Yeah, it seems that the um, the dressing room culture is really strong there. It seems like they've got you know a, a strong core of um, of coaches there to help. Obviously, we saw or a lot of people were seeing the picture of the the, the Chelsea unit as effectively as that's where they all knew each, know each other from Lampard, Cole, Clements, and Edwards, and, and Chris Jones. I think was there all the Blood Brothers <laughs> last last week. But yeah, there there are others there as well, like Alan Kelly, and it's clear that everybody feels like everybody's playing a role. Um, you know, obviously, we can see that the vast improvement at set piece, at least from defending set pieces, that Everton have got this season. And we know that Ashley Cole is is largely behind that. You know, we know that obviously, probably the most improved player of Everton at the minute is is Alex Awobi. He's had a wonderful season, and although although a lot of the headlines around that and his improvement focus on Frank Lampard's impact, when you speak to Frank kind of in private, he's very keen to to push the role that Joe Edwards is. Um, assistant manager has had with with Awobi and helping Awobi kind of come out of his shell on the pitch, um, as, as it were. And then again, on, on Saturday, we had Alan Kelly's name mentioned. You know, it's no surprise, really, that goalkeepers are closer to the goalkeeping coaches. And, um, you know, he said that Lampard said that Kelly had been a, a good sounding board for, for Pickford over the years. And I think that, you know, it's clear that they have a good relationship and it's clear that, uh, you know, Pickford has developed, he's matured a lot, I think, over the past 12 months. And, you know, for, for all his goalkeeping ability, you know, that, that kind of psychological improvement as well, it's 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 highly likely that Alan Kelly's had a role in that. And, you know, it's, it's good to see that Lampard's happy to name-check him in relation to it. Matt, in terms of, you know, two more players who I think a lot of Everton fans, or well, I think most Everton fans have fell in love with, it's James Harkowski and Conor Cody. Obviously, you know, they both brought in in the summer, but it feels like they've been playing forever, forever, doesn't it? And a pair of them have just, you know, I was fortunate to speak to, speak to James Tarkovsky myself after the game, and he couldn't have been any more glowing in terms of his praise for Conor Cody and playing alongside him. But the two of them have just been absolutely instrumental in helping Everton get over the line in these games where they have been back to the wall and have had to do a lot of defending, digging deep. It feels like them two are just blocking every shot, doing all they can to make sure that their side get over the line and they come away with something, if not all three points, but something. For their, for their hard work. Oh, yeah. You know, those two sort of epitomise that bend but don't break mentality that, that I mentioned earlier. And you, you sort of get the, the impression that they would have enjoyed the game on, on Saturday privately more than the 3-0 win over, <laughs> over Crystal Palace, wasn't it? Which is all about, you know, scoring beautiful goals and lovely flicks and tricks and, and intricate passing moves. Whereas at the weekend, it was right. You've got a six-foot-five brute of a centre-forward to deal with and you're going to have to block and tackle everything that moves. And, you know, that that's, that's what they've been been at for a long time and you know that i think it's it's testament to both of them actually that they've just sort of been flung together in as a defensive partnership and they've, they've looked so at ease straight away together and it's not just that as well you know for, for a long part of the season they've had two young fullbacks you know let's not forget nathan patterson hadn't played in the premier league till week one of this season Mikolenko is still new to the league as well and, and that defense has sort of been 
cobbled together by by four lads that weren't even at the football club on the first of January, and all of a sudden, you know, they're all playing together. And I think it's mainly because of those two. You know, Mikalenko and Patterson have done well as well. Don't get me wrong, but those two have sort of feel like they've been the glue that, that's knitted it all together. And I think as much as we always put them in this this box together, as you know, same age same nationality, same sort of career. I think they are quite different in the way in which they play as well. And they have got different characteristics which complement each other quite well. I mean, that's something that Tarkovsky spoke about in, in the piece that, that you've done today, Connor, in the sense that, you know, he thinks he's a bit more physical than, than Cody. And he's, you know, more willing to go and win headers and, you know, block shots, whereas Cody's maybe someone who reads the game a little bit, is a bit more right place at the right time, you know, a bit less, you know, proactive in his defending. But, so I think they, they work quite well as a duo and, and yeah, you know, talking about, about culture and, and all those things that have gone on at the football club, it feels like those two have come in and, and up, you know, had a huge uplift on that. And, you know, you, you can see, you know, I, I sit in the Goddess streets and you can hear in Conor Cody's case the, uh, the impact he has on the players around him. And, you know, every time there's been an interview or anything done with another Everton player this season, it feels like they've gone out the way to sort of name check the influence that they've had. Frank Lampard has obviously spoken in glowing terms about them both as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a great testament to both of them the way in which they've come in and just just steady things down straight away. I think that was a big thing, wasn't it, Joe on Saturday? Because obviously you know Tarkovsky lost it, lost to himself, but he, he actually described which was just aggressive. You know, he said he, he's an aggressive centre forward. You know, he's got really strong physicality, and that was the thing, wasn't it? And you know, even though they kind of had chances for them, they never really had clear cut chances in the sense of you, you thought, oh, you know, they've been undone there, Everton, and they've been Cozy and Tarkovsky being caught out. They actually dealt with. When you consider, you know, which which has formed so far this season, probably that with the Serbian in the best way we've seen in the Premier League so far this season. Yeah, they did. Although one of the things I thought was really interesting was that it was Alex Awobi was marking him at corners. Um, which, 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 which kind of, I've got absolutely no idea what the thought process is. Is there? Like, I thought it would have been Cody or Tarkovsky, and <laughs> if not one of them, I could maybe understand the case that you know, Calvert Luna or Inanna, due to their size. And strength themselves, but yeah, I like so. But in fairness, the way we did it, obviously, yeah, Mitrovic had the header that Pickford produced a great save from. But other than that, I think film went to double figures for corners, and, and Mitrovic didn't really um, get a decent effort on target again. But yeah, you know, they're yeah, they're, they're just a, a, a great partnership, aren't they? And they, they they're just the if anything embodies this new look Everton side, it seems to be that relationship between Tarkovsky and Cody, you know, two good, honest, strong professionals that clearly love the game, you know, well organized, put their bodies on the line and and and, and enjoy it, having a good time as well. You see it in the training videos, you see it in the in the interviews, you see everything. It's like it feels like they're both happy to be at Everton at the minute. And it seems that they command an awful lot of respect from everybody, not just their teammates, but also the coaching staff, obviously the likes of Lampard and that as well. And Everton are clearly in a, in a much better place for it. And, and you're right about the chances. Obviously, you know, I think 24 efforts on goal, Fulham, Fulham mustered on, on Saturday. But really the only two that tested Pickford properly were those two in quick succession, the Williams shot and the, and the Mitrovic header. Beyond that... A lot of people keep talking about the amount of chances and shots Everton are conceding, uh, almost as a stick to beat this Everton side around around the, the Edwith. You know, as in oh, you know, the XG is higher and, and they're conceding so many shots that eventually everything's going to collapse. They're not actually defending that well. You know, things are going to turn and they're going to start getting hammered week in week out, or at least or they're, they're lucky to still be in games when they should have been put away. But I think not. 
when people look at those numbers, I don't think people are looking and looking at them enough in enough context. And what this defense is, all right, it might not be brilliant stopping attempts on goal, but it's very difficult. It's very sorry. It's very good at making those efforts harder to execute for, for the attacking side. It's very good at you know just forcing them that extra yard wider so that Pickford's got a, you know a better chance to save it. Very good at just. You know, leaning in on someone who's about to head us, so all of a sudden it's much harder to get the header on target. Yeah, you know, they're very good at just you know throwing a block in the way and, and preventing a clear strike on goal. Basically, doing all the things that they can do. So if they can't stop the shot on the shot in the first place, what they can do is they can massively bring down the probability of it going in. And I think that's what Cody and Tarkovsky. And we saw this a bit from Mikalenko um, at, at, at the weekend. I think that's what they're very very good at doing. They're very very good at reducing the risk of the shots that are happening at Everton's goal because of all the hard work they're doing and because of their bravery, because of their courage and because of their streetwise as well. And I think you know, being streetwise is something that you know, there's a lot more of that in this Everton side this, this season compared to last. It doesn't. The game management still, still leaves a lot to be desired. I think we saw that you know, probably before the international break, particularly in the games where Everton would take the lead and then they'd almost fall back within themselves rather than control or command the game. And eventually, you know, as was the case with Brentford, as was the case with with Leeds, you know, they they concede and and and, and they they'd suffer as, as a result. But this Everton side does feel a lot more streetwise than it has done in in recent years, and and I think that can only be a good thing as well. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Matt, you know, Joe mentioned him there, but Mikhailenko, you know, Frank Lampard and Tarkovsky were were, were were big to praise him for his performance after the game. And he's someone who kind of gone under the radar a little bit, isn't he? Because he's a bit of an unsung hero, obviously, you know, maybe not the most adventurous left-back the club has certainly seen. But he's someone who's improving. He seems to be getting better and better, doesn't he, really, the past some week? Yeah, I mean, def- defensively, there's, there's nothing to worry about, is there, with him? You know, you never really look at him. And, you know, I can't think of many times in his short Everton career so far where you could say a wing has got the better of him. And, you know, he's come up against Mo Salah twice in, in that time as well. So he's played against some of the, the best wide players in this league and, and he's been absolutely outstanding against them from his defensive point of view. And, yeah, I think, I think the fact he sort of got under the radar again is, is another testament to him, you know, to, to come into... And, and you know, take away all the, the context of what's going on for him personally and, and back home in Ukraine. Just just as a 22-year-old footballer coming from the Ukrainian league into the Premier League midway through a season into a, into a struggling side. And let's not forget as well, got off to a, a relatively ropey start, you know, in those first two games against Hull and Norwich City. Um, you know, let's not forget as well, Frank Lampard played John Joe Kenny ahead of him in his, mm-hmm. in his first game at Goodison Park in the Premier League against Leeds. So, it wasn't an easy start for him, but he's he's come into the and took and just just solidified that that position. I think obviously there's room for him to improve, isn't there? The, the game at, at the weekend and maybe away games in general, to a degree, suit him because he can stay tucked into the centre backs. He gets into one-on-one duels with, with wingers, and he he tends to win them because he's a great athlete and he senses danger really well. I think where where there's development to do in his game is you want to see more performances potentially like what we saw against Crystal Palace the week before where he was a bit more adventurous, he was able to get forward and potentially want to see him take a little bit more care on the ball in, in the final third and maybe be a, a little bit more adventurous from that point of view as well. But I, I don't really think there's any opportunity for him to do that at the weekend. It was a back to the wall second half. 
it was a performance where the ball kept coming back to Everton because they didn't really have a, a valve in attack to, to relieve that, that full and pressure. And it was relentless down, down both flanks, really, where they tried to overload us. And, and, he, and he dealt with his man a lot better, I think, than the Seamus Coleman and, and Nathan Patterson did on, on the other side. So, yeah, real, real credit to him. He's just a player now. You see his name on the team. She's so even yeah, don't really have to worry about us getting getting done down our left hand side. We're going to be pretty solid down there. Um, so yeah, great credit to him. He, he looks like a a proper Premier League left back now. Joel, there, there was one you know boost for the Blues, wasn't he on on Saturday or major boost, and that was the return Nathan Patterson. He come on, I think just just after the hour mark, and it was a great to see the Scottish international back because he was being sorely missed. Although James Coleman's done really well, it can't be you know his energy has been missed on that right flank. Yeah, Coleman did really well against Southampton his first game. Obviously, he was excellent against Crystal Palace. You know, he's done okay in the other games. Perhaps that hasn't excelled, but he's done okay. Um, I think in that run of three defeats, I thought we saw. <coughs> excuse me. I think we. I think we saw the value of Patterson because it just. Coleman being there just led to a slight reconfiguration aside. I think I think you just saw the Wobi kind of being utilised in a slightly different place in centre midfield just to try and help give Coleman that extra bit of cover. And and whilst um, you know it made out and a little bit stronger defensively going forward, it, it really it really weakened them. And um, the other thing that it, it, it did as well is obviously Coleman's not quite as ambitious going forward as Patterson for so long in the, the first part of the season. Coleman, uh, sorry, uh, Patterson was an outlet. You know, you'd see he was always looking to exploit that space in front of him. And if the ball's over on the left-hand side of the pitch and he's got 20 yards to run for, he will cross the halfway line. He will get into a position that, you know, quite often what it is, is it's um, James Tarkovsky on the left of the two playing the, the, the rake in diagonal to switch play and just relieve the pressure and potentially start a, an, an attacking move. And I think Everton really missed that against, against Man United, against Tottenham, against Newcastle as well. So... You know, it'd be interesting to see whether or not Patterson kind of forces his way back into the side pre-World Cup. Obviously, he's coming back from his injury. You know, Coleman's doing well and it is settled in that side. And, and, and there's only, I mean, if you take the League Cup game out, there's only two games left. But I imagine that kind of post-World Cup, Patterson will probably start the, the post-Christmas run of fixtures as the first choice right back, I should think. You know, he, he has been missed, I think. Yeah, in fairness to Coleman and Patterson as well, you know, I, I thought William was this sort of comedy figure after he'd been to Arsenal and he played like Prime Ronaldinho at the weekend. And, and Anthony <laughs> Robinson was surprised. Yeah, and Anthony, was, Anthony Robinson was playing like Roberto Carlos. So I think, uh, I think anyone would have struggled against that, that Fulham left side at the weekend because they were, uh, they, yeah, they were pretty hot down that left, left flank. Before we finish, Matt, I'll stick with you because a former Everett manager has been saying some very interesting things, I think. Today, well, they've come out today, so it, it might not have been done. It, a recent interview, uh, uh, I would suggest. But Rafa Benitez has, has been speaking to the Italian media and he's been talking about Everton, which he likes to do nowadays. And he's claimed that the excessively brilliant start to the championship deluded the environment of the club when looking back on his time at Everton. I mean, not for the first time. He's been he's wise of the mark there, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um... <laughs> Yeah, you, you just you just you just see, don't you, pop up on on your Twitter feed or on your news now. Rafael Benitez talks about his time at Everton. You think, oh no, here, here we go again. Another Everton manager that's going to rewrite history. Um, you know, you mentioned the word deluded there, and I think it's very applicable to, to to what he has to say, really. And 
you know, he says he says at the end of the piece that Everton were never more than six points away from the relegation zone. Um, so he never fewer than six points away from the relegation zone under his tenure. But you know, put yourself back in that position, which the, the football club were in January, and after that, that Norwich defeat, it was it was a downward spiral, and it was only going to end in one way. Um, you know, I, I'll never forget him playing Salomon Rondon as a number ten in that game. That's that's going to be from my forever lasting memory of Rafael Benitez. And I think any manager that does that is, um, is you know, got a lot to answer for. But, you know, the way things are going anyway for, for the Reds across the park, they might be in need of a manager soon. So maybe he can come in and do a job uh, at Anfield again, which uh, I think based on his Everton tenure, I'd be all for. In terms of Rafael on matches quickly, you know, considering he spent so, you know, little time at the club, it's amazing how much he's got to talk about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's the same with quite a lot of our former managers, isn't it? Really, you don't spend long on me, now, but you've got an awful lot to say and an awful lot to look back on. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But it just you know, it's, the thing that I was expecting from Benitez when he came in was that this was going to be not going to be enjoyable, but you're going to be absolutely fine. You're going to be defensively robust. You might have injuries and players missing, but you know you'll you'll muddle through until the end of the season. And you just think back to some of those performances. You know, it was very recently the anniversary of the the Watford. 5-2 game, wasn't it? You know, I've never seen an Everton performance quite like that from a defensive standpoint. So, so no, I think, like you said, like you said, Connor, he's, he's just so wide to the mark and, you know, he's done a couple of these recently, hasn't he? So maybe he's, he's had his break a little bit now. He's getting itchy feet at home and thinking, right, I need to get out there and, and get another job. So, how can I re- reframe this Everton tenure in the most positive way possible for myself? Um, you do want to think with Sky the other week, didn't he? But no one's taking the plunge on it from the Premier League. So, this one was with Italy, wasn't it? I think it's an, with an it Italian was, yeah. publication, yeah. So maybe quite fancy heading back to Italy for, for a job there in the future. There was, there was one line, George, very quickly that, that caught my eye was um, the team is totally different from the one I coached, was what Rafa finished with. And I think for the sake of El Hebertonians, that's only a good thing, isn't it? That it's a totally different team to the one that we saw under the Spaniards this time last year. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Of course, it is. You know, I think. Um... Yeah, I mean, we're getting plenty of column inches out of what Rafa Benitez has got to say about his time at Everton, but um, you know how much merit there is in what he's saying. I don't think there is much at all, is it? I mean, it really is a case of rose-tinted spectacles on his on his own um, value to Everton and his role here, isn't he? I mean, forgetting some of those uh, you know, absolutely awful run of form that preceded his departure. You know, I think uh, you see quite a lot of people that are almost trying to use you know use it to undermine. Frank Lampard's achievements, but you know, when Frank Lampard took over at Everton, Everton were they were in a relegation death spiral. You know, it was always and it was always going to get worse before it got better because there was always going to be a, a, a take a few kind of weeks to try or even months to try and you know change the culture, change the atmosphere, pick people up psychologically as well as deal with the injuries and that as well. So, you know, I think uh, I think I think Everton are better off in this situation, aren't they? So. I think it's a situation none of us ever want to return to again, to be no. quite frank. <laughs> but, gents, I think we've chewed the fat enough there for Everton over the last 45 minutes or so. But, of course, we'll be back on Friday to preview Everton's upcoming Premier League clash with Leicester City as the Blues return to Goodison Park and play their final game at Goodison before the World Cup break. And we'll also look back on Frank Lampard's press conferences and digest all the latest news coming from the club. But for today... Joe, Matt, thank you very much for joining me. You've been listening to the Roblox Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.